there was a uh, there was a man um, way way back. I mean, we read the Bible and we 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 often think uh, maybe we miss uh, what happened next. You know, we have these maybe ninety years or so after the birth of Jesus, and then there's just not much else in the canon of Scripture. And uh, one of the things that if you study church history is you you get to meet these guys who took over uh, for the apostles. Polycarp was one of those guys. Polycarp was one of the guys who was in Smyrna. If you read um, the seven letters to the churches in Revelation, um, Smyrna is one of those seven churches. And um, Polycarp was one of the guys who was discipled by the apostle John. And if you were to read in, in Revelation, you'd see uh, condemnations over churches that had le- left their first love, that had grown lukewarm and things like that. But you'd also see commendations over churches that had kept focus. There was, there was fewer commendations. There were condemnations. There, there was lots more bad than good. Um, but Polycarp was one of the guys that we look at, and uh, his story rings through history. He was known as a man mighty in the scriptures. He was um, he had a bounty on his head, um, and he had been uh, leading uh, the church at Smyrna for a long time, and uh, persecution was still kind of fiery in those days. And uh, so that, that his friends found out that there was a bounty on his head, and they begged him to leave, to hide, to, to get away. And he was so intensely acquainted with the will of God, he just sat in his home and waited. He's just like, well, I mean, this is what, if this is what God wants, then this is what God wants. And some of you would call him crazy, and some of you would call him spiritual, and there's a range of different opinions on a guy like this. Kind of seems really like overzealous, but this was a man who was intensely focused on what God wanted. He, uh, word on the street is he had a dream that uh, like his pillow was on fire or something like that, and he woke up, and he knew uh, that he would, uh, be martyred by fire. So it was interesting then that when they marched him into a stadium and they, uh, were, the, the crowd was chant. this is like a coliseum, think gladiator, right? The crowd was shouting, saying, release the lions against him. But the gladiator games had just ended. And so what did they say? We're going to have to burn him at the stake. It was very, very interesting. So, uh, he begs for an hour to pray. And um, by the way, I had gotten word, I had read uh, elsewhere in, in another book this week that when the Roman guards came to get him, that he fed him a meal first, right? He just, he took, he took him in and, and was that hospitable, fed him a meal. They marched him off to the Colosseum, they called to be, for him to be burned at the stake. And then um, he asked for an hour to pray. He takes two. And the devotion of this man apparently was so um, inspiring that the guards around him, some of them were known to have repented in that moment of their sin and, and come to Jesus, but that didn't change the game for him. Um, he was given one last moment. Um, in the stadium, he is reported as hearing a voice. In fact, not just him, but all the Christ followers in the stadium heard uh, just a strange voice. They didn't hear, they didn't see anyone speaking, but they all heard his voice say, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. And he, uh, and all the other Christ followers heard it, and so he's essentially, um, he's, he's bravely taking 
uh, this execution by fire. So they put him up. They're about to nail him to this post, and he refuses. <laughs> he says, I'm not going anywhere. You don't need to nail me to this post, which is, who is this guy? Who has that kind of bravery and that kind of, you know, that kind of boldness? So they put him up, put him up on the post, and the pro council gives him one more opportunity. It says, revile Christ, right? Claim Caesar in this moment. And here's what he says. Eighty-six years have I been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And they lit him on fire. And as it is told, the flames did not consume him. So a Roman guard had to stab him with a spear, and then he began to bleed out. But this is true faith. Now, if you were to ask people, if you were to tell people that story, if you ask like 100 people what they think about God and what they think about God protecting you versus allowing you to walk through persecution, you'd probably get 100 different responses, right? Some come from convictions based on the word, uh, but some have read, you know, verses here and verses there and would say things like, well, God's not going to let you go through that, you know? Um, what's really hard is when your kids ask, like, is God ever going to let me get hurt? He's not, right? Because he loves me. And you're like, uh, okay, all right. Hard theology lesson, kids. Let's gather around and let's talk. And, and you're talking about the true nature of God. And, and the true nature of God is that sometimes he lets us walk through hard times. And Polycarp is, is, is no different. Interestingly enough, I learned uh, if you were here last week, we talked about the parable of the soils. We talked about um, the fruit, right? If you want to be um, bearing fruit, then you've got to stay connected to the vine. I did not know this until this week. The name polycarp means much fruit. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's just, that's just for free. Um, so he, uh, he, he is this, um, this influence for me. I learned about him in college, and I can't get the image out of my head. I guarantee the people in the Colosseum can't get the image out of their head. Could you imagine being the Christ follower in the stadium and hearing that voice and knowing it was from God? Could you imagine watching that happen and watching God protect him in that way? We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3 today, which mirrors this story quite closely. We're in this series called Elements, and one of the things I said last week was that there's uh, a a number of times in Scripture that the elements of creation are used to point back to the Creator. Jesus sometimes would speak of living water. We, we see images of, of the burning bush. Uh, we see images of a, a refiner's fire. We see images in the Old Testament. Uh, one of the very first messages I preached in this church when we launched originally back in 2015 was that there's this moment in the Old Testament where uh, God had rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, and he was guiding them, and they had to stay mobile. We are mobile, but we are not as mobile as they were. Uh, they were guided by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And that pillar of fire, it would stay, and that would signify that they could camp. But if that pillar of fire started moving, they were mobile enough that they would move with that pillar of fire. This was just an image that God was using. He was using this creation. Why? To point back to himself. And so last week we talked about how Jesus 
is teaching through the parable of the soils that there's four different conditions uh, that your heart can be in uh, as it relates to when the, you receive the word. Like, And rest assured, like people all over the world and all over our community have heard Right of of God's gospel. Now I know there's pe- there's unreached people. I know that, and I'm not ignoring that. But I'm saying, we have all in this nation, uh, for the most part, been given a good amount of opportunities to hear the gospel and to repent and to turn to God. And so there's four soils. Three of them are bad. One of them is fruitful. And the whole time God is using it to show the condition of our hearts. In Daniel chapter three, we're going to meet uh, three guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you grew up in church, you've heard those names a bajillion times, and uh, you know this story, and I love it because it, it never changes. Interestingly enough, though, if you, if you look in, in, in Daniel chapter 1, you're going to see uh, very quickly that there's been um, a, a capture of the people of Israel, and this is about happening in 605 B.C., um, that Jerusalem was uh, sacked and people were captured. Uh, men and women were taken uh, out of their homes. Some of them, only the select ones. These were the, the, the kind of the athletic ones. These were the smart ones. These are the ones who had a mind for government and business ownership and things like that. They tested them and then they took them and then they gave them the king's diet and the king's uh, pr- provisionals and st- stuff like that. And they would be raised up in the ranks and serve. So this was like slavery, but this was like really like expensive, nice slavery, right? So these are guys that are leading certain areas of the kingdom. In 605 BC, this happens. Uh, word has it uh, that about 20 years has passed between chapter 2 and 3. Okay, so 20 years, 20 years. Think about where you were 20 years ago. Whoa, right? Think about where you were 20 years ago. That's how much time has passed. So 605 BC, this, this, this Jerusalem is sacked. Um, and do the math, by the way. If you were here during the um, Nehemiah series, 20 years has passed, 586, um, 140 years before Nehemiah goes to rebuild the walls. The, rebuild, the, the walls are torn down. This is that. Okay, so to give you a little bit of context, um, this was the moment when Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, the Babylonians were taking things out of the temple and just kind of decorating their houses and their castles and their, their area with this. Okay, this is, um, and the Lord allowed it. We could do a whole sermon series on this, but we won't. The Lord allowed it because this group of people, the Israelites, had forgotten God in all sorts of ways. They were idol worshipers. They had gone their own path. They, they were ignoring the commandments. They were ignoring the festivals. They were ignoring Sabbath. They were supposed to let the land rest, right? There was actual physical rest at the land, you know, but they used it and 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 used it. And God said, you know what? You're not listening to any of my commandments regarding community, uh, temple stuff, uh, land stuff, crops. So he allowed, check this out, he allowed them to be taken into captivity. In the snap of a finger, God could have changed it. He didn't. He's telling us a story here. So in verse 1 of chapter 3, we see what happens. Actually, let's just go ahead and read 3, uh, 1 through 7. King King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. Let's actually chill out and stay there for a second. Cubits, you're like, 
that doesn't help me, right? A cubit is about 18 inches. I did the math. This is a 90-foot tall statue and about nine-foot wide statue. And you're like, okay, that's pretty major. Like he's like, if you're looking for some context, the Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro, we'll have a picture of that, is 98 feet tall. So this is just eight feet taller. This is major. This is what the king rose up to himself. And the idea is that uh, parts of it are gold, parts of it are iron and stuff like this. Um, if you, in fact, if you zoom in, just for a little more context, those tiny little things, those are people. <laughs> that's how tall this thing is. And so uh, he erects this statue to him himself. And we constantly see in the book of Daniel, by the way, that uh, these kings, these people that are taking over, uh, are, have, have, they have the propensity to be selfish, to think that they're the God, to repent, to proclaim uh, God, uh, you know, the creator God, the, the God of the Bible, and then to sweep back into I'm God, repent. There's this kind of cycle that happens. And, and Nebuchadnezzar has, has seen God move uh, through Daniel and his three friends, and he's back to thinking on his own. So he erects this huge statue, uh, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to the, uh, gathered the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the just, all these people, right, to uh, gather to dedicate this image. Verse 3, so they came. Um, sorry, these are just very wordy verses. So, so he sent to gather them. They came, and the idea is that they're going to bow. So this is verse um, let me look at verse 4. The herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, he's really trying to make a point here, <laughs> uh, and every kind of music, that you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So verse 6, it says this, Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Verse 7. So everyone did it. As soon as all the people heard the sounds of the music, all this kind of stuff, they all fell down and worshipped the, the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Everyone fell in line. They've been in captivity for a while, probably 20 years. So this is, this is new, right? This is new, but the truth is that all these people have fallen in line. And by the way, a good amount of these people are idol-worshiping, like Chaldeans. These are people of the community, but also there's a segment of society that are Israelites that should know better. They should know better. They're being called on to worship, and they are just saying, you know what? I'm just going to preserve myself. I'm just going to take care of it. Because after all, what good am I if I'm dead? I can't, like, preach Jesus if I'm dead. I can't make a difference if I'm dead. I can't help rescue other people if I'm dead, which is a um, what we'll see is, is a not true form of true faith. So verse 8, what happens? Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. These haters showed up. These are the tattletalers. Those of you that work with kids, you know exactly what the tone is. He's not letting me play with those toys. Like, this is what's happening, right? These are guys that, like, heard it's not happening, and they're like, you know what? We're going to go cause a ruckus here. So they're saying, O king, live forever. Verse 10. You, O king, have made a decree that every man hears the sound. He's like, I know. Verse 11. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men 
They pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. So what happens? Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, verse 13, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve any gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, which I just thought was hilarious, this is the king, you kind of get the idea that this is a guy who pushes people around. He's like, if you're ready, he's going to give them a second chance when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you don't, you should immediately be cast into the fiery furnace. Okay, so we, we get the picture, right? Like, and you have to put yourself in this, in their place. And I think that's probably why God laid this on my heart today. What would you do? I'm not asking for responses, just answering your own heart. What would you do? I... When I was reading this, and I asked myself this question, like any good preacher should like actually let this work on me before I like unleash it on you, um, because we know that I don't have all my stuff worked out, right? So I'm kind of letting this word wash over me too. So I'm like, what would I do in this situation? And my, I think it was because maybe I was listening to the Braveheart soundtrack or something. I was like, I'm ready. Like, give it to me. I'm not bowing, you know? But the truth is, I don't know. I don't know. I, I've never been in that moment. I, I think about, I think about, if you remember, some of you are too young for this. Who was, who remembers like Columbine? You remember that? You remember the story that I'm, I'm referencing? There's a girl who, with the gun to the head, says, are you a follower of Jesus? And she says, yep. And she, and she dies in that moment. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I have those kind of guts as a teenager. Do you have, do you have that? And is it just um, inner boldness? Or is that a confidence in Jesus? One of the things that Polycarp would go on to say is, burn me at the stake. The, the torture that is on the other side of eternity, being separated from Jesus, is nothing. Right? Like, or, or I should say this, is nothing in comparison to what will happen on the other side of eternity. Like, burn me at the stake. I want Jesus. And if I have to get there through the worst pain imaginable, then so be it. That, that, that is like the, the, the purest form of faith that I could imagine. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to have this brilliant answer. It comes in three parts, starting in verse 16. I love it. It's bold. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. O king, sovereign, ruler, I have no need to answer. Like, there's some moxie in this statement, right? If this be so, our God we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow even if he doesn't. This is, because um, I mean, lots of times we, we see elements in, in Scripture where it's like you get the bad, the bad, I, like don't do this, how not to lead a church, how not to uh, lie, how not to, you know, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. Like, I can't think of a better example that a human uh, expressed in Scripture because these guys understand 
Jesus is Lord. He is going to protect us. And even if he doesn't, 86 years, I've, I've been a servant of God. How am I going to blaspheme my king now? No way. This is a picture of true faith. This is, um, this is what it made me think, like today. Again, if you ask 100 different people what they think about God and his provision and his, all this kind of stuff versus persecution, you're going to get different answers. There are people that do not like uh, the other person's doctrine. We would both call ourselves Christians, and we have wildly different right, beliefs on what God is saying. And we have to say this. Sometimes God lets you walk through the fire. So what is it that happens to you when you walk through the fire? My God is able to provide for me, but even if he doesn't. My God is able to heal my sickness. He's powerful. He's the great physician. But even if he doesn't, I'll worship him. I'll praise him. My God is able to take care of all of my emotional struggles right now. But you know what? Even if he does not, I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to trust him. My God is able to provide a spouse for me. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, I'm going to worship him with my life and every element of my life. My God is able to, to heal my family. My God is able to rescue my kids out of their own sin. My God is able to, to take that addiction away from my friend. But you know what? If he doesn't, it's not going to change how I praise my God. This is rare. This is not normal. I dare say that I think it's, it's possible that all of us would fall into a place that if we were in a country where all of a sudden religious freedom was not true and that soldiers were to storm in this room or to storm our houses if we had Bible study, to storm my kitchen table as I'm reading the scriptures, that would I be bold enough to still do it? Would I be bold enough to, to praise God through any persecution that would come? We are um, babied in this country. It's interesting because just jumping ahead of the story, Nebuchadnezzar, because, I mean, we all know how this story ends if we grew up in church. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to change his mind, and he is going to essentially make Christianity like a state religion. And that's not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> Christianity thrives under persecution. Why do you think the United States of America does not look Christian? If you think we're a Christian nation, let's go to lunch. I'll debate you. We're not. <laughs> we're not. And the truth is, is that we're not because we've been given all these. And listen, we ought to be thankful for those, but we also ought to like not be sensitive to, to like, well, things are good. Like if we were persecuted, we might be more on fire to follow God's example, but we're not. Why? Because we've been babied. We're kind of like soft, aren't we? Would we still be as bold to proclaim the gospel if, if the threat of not just death, but death by fiery furnace was around the corner? We don't even proclaim the gospel now. Of course we wouldn't. We would fail, wouldn't we? It's something we got to pay attention to. So they boldly respond, toss us in. We're not going to bow. So if that's what that means, then go ahead. Nebuchadnezzar, filled with fury. You get the idea that this guy is just like emotion on 11 
all the time, filled with fury, furious rage. Verse 19, the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them in the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some of the strongest men in the city. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the burning, fiery furnace. And then what happens? He looks in. He's astonished. Why? Because he sees the fire not consuming them, just like Polycarp. He sees the fire not, cons- not consuming them. He was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. The way we understand it, Jesus, pre-incarnate, like this is way before, right, six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus. This is years before that, right, like 600 years or so before, and he is in the fire with them. When I'm in a fire, when I'm in a trial, I sometimes forget that Jesus is walking it out with me. Like the whole time. I sometimes forget. I think, about, I think about all the times that like I get to walk that out with my kids too. I think about the times that I get to watch my son walk through, you know, the biggest seven-year-old struggles in his life, which are not, you know, big. But for him, they're the whole world. And I get to walk through those. And it's my pleasure to walk through those with him, to, to guide him and to help him through that. And Jesus is doing the same thing with us. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is, I will never leave you or forsake you. In that moment, and listen, we just got to be honest. In church history, there are saints who are martyred, right? The 12 apostles, Judas obviously walked, but the rest of them, they were martyred. The only reason John did not die you know this? The only reason that John did not die as a martyr is because they tried and it didn't work. They boiled him in like a, a huge vat of hot oil and it didn't kill him. So they exiled him to Patmos. Then what happens? Then he writes Revelation. God was with him the whole time. And there's, there's stories of this tough stuff happening. And you may experience that pain. You probably are experiencing that pain right now, right? Like some of us are no doubt in a trial right now and you're experiencing that pain. And my reminder to you is that Jesus is with you and he can do anything he wants. And don't miss the best part. So he sees, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. I think I've always, always, always loved that Jesus was in there with them protecting them. The fire was not consuming them because they're going to walk out, spoiler alert, with no no smell of smoke or anything like that. But they are unbound. So the thing that the enemy wrapped them up in, that bound them up, was the only thing that was affected by that fire. 
So the thing that you are bound by, that your enemy has wrapped you up in, the thing that the enemy is trying to trip you up with is the only thing that was affected by the fire. And what's interesting to me, maybe most, because we talked about fruits uh, last Last week, and what we said in John 15 is he said, if you want to bear fruit, you need to stay connected to the vine. The only ones that bear fruit are the ones that stay connected to me. The ones that are disconnected from me, they're only good for what? Fire. And they say, all the apostles, all the different people, the the writers, that your fruits will be tested. Peter was big on this, right? Uh, Peter was big on this. He's going to say in... in, um, well, Peter's going to say it. That's right. This verse is from 1 Timothy 4.12. Paul's writing, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. Like, we should expect it. We should expect it. And the only thing that was affected by this fire was the thing that had bound them up. They were walking around in freedom as if they were in a dance party. Can you imagine what they were thinking when they were marching towards that fire, by the way? I mean, you imagine they're sweating a little bit, right? They're they're a little afraid because it seems that they're just straight bold, like 100% like, throw us in. You know, I don't like, I'd be like, you're going to have to throw me in, but I would probably be like throwing up nervous. Like, like I don't know exactly what, like sweating drops of blood nervous. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I would be cranked up with fear. But I wonder if they were thinking of uh, like Job, you know? They knew these stories. These were faithful men of Israel, faithful men of God. You imagine they were like, took everything from Job. Like, he gave them, like, he took everything away, took his family and everything away. And then he said, blessed be the Lord who gives and takes away. I can handle this. Maybe they were thinking about the story of Abraham and Isaac, where, where God stops Abraham right before he's about to sac- sacrifice Isaac and says, no, 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 I've provided a ram in the thicket. Like there's all kinds of stories that go one or two ways. And they're thinking like, is this going to happen? Maybe Isaiah 54, I, I read, uh, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Maybe they're thinking about the prophet Isaiah. Church, our heritage is that God steps in at just the right time. And we ought to be waving that banner over our struggles. Not as some cavalier attempt to make ourselves feel better, but to remind ourselves that God is, is, is Lord over all. And he will do what he wants to do in those situations. I'm not saying it's not going to be painful, though, right? I think we know that by now. I think we've experienced this. I, I think it'd be dangerous when we, when we say, like, God always steps in to rescue you from the pain. You are going to experience some pain, right? Stories replete in Scripture with people experiencing pain, and God redeemed those stories. Don't tell me Joseph for years and years and years, like half of his life was spent in, his, in slavery up to that point. Don't tell me he didn't experience pain. Don't tell me he didn't experience a moment of, of like hopelessness maybe every once in a while, but he would remind himself that God was going to do something in that moment. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but God will have his way. God will have his way. We ought to be people of belief. I think of um, my propensity to go 
not supernatural with my thoughts, but, but just natural. My thoughts are, well, this is probably going to hurt. I better just get ready. It's probably not going to work. God's probably not going to do much. I just got to bear the weight of my consequences. I just got to, you know, just get through this. I, I get very existential sometimes. My, my, my sometimes my, I'm just like, well, ah, this is going to hurt. Sometimes God wants to step in. And I, it reminded me this week of James chapter 1 where it's like, you're going to experience trials. Like, you should count it joy. By the way, uh, God is going to give you wisdom to get through those trials, but ask in faith. Sometimes we don't ask in faith. Sometimes we don't believe in faith that God wants to rescue us out of this stuff. Sometimes we don't believe in faith that God is going to do those things for us. Sometimes we don't believe in faith that God, like, if we just remember that Jesus is enough, he's with us, that should be enough. But I think sometimes... I could do better by just standing up and saying, Lord, I believe in faith that you're going to do this. I was confessing to Dave a couple weeks ago that, you know, I was afraid of some of the health stuff that, that is ravaging my family and that one day I know that's going to come for me. And, and he was talking to me. He's like, you know what I'm doing with, with Remy right now? I'm just praying that God is making her healthy. I mean, she, this was when she was still, you know, so it was longer than a few weeks ago, but um, I'm just praying that God would, would use her to be a, a mighty warrior in her culture, in her, in her world, in her generation. Like, you don't have to b- just believe that, like, stuff's going to happen to you in the future. I remember just being so encouraged by that because I get so like, well, it's going to happen. It's going to get worse, right? I, so many of us were like, this election is sending us straight to the pit of hell. This is going to be awful. And I think some of us probably just needed to be like, you know what? Life is going to go on. And you know what? Maybe Jesus wants to do something amazing through this season. Some of us are in the middle of a season, and in all, for all practical purposes, what we see is showing us this is going to be painful. It's going to hurt. I can't wait for the stories out of Houston, you know? I got friends out there. There's not much hope. There's just this is going to be painful. Sometimes we need to pray and ask the Lord to move. We need, to, we need to believe that he can in faith. But even if he doesn't, I'm going to praise him. That's the people that we ought to be, even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. Are you that kind of believer today? Even if he doesn't move. Even if he doesn't help me through this strike. Even if he doesn't deliver me from this. Even if he doesn't heal me. Even if, if it doesn't bring me what I'm asking. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to walk out this life what he's called me to do, even if he doesn't. There's an element in Scripture (laughs) when we talk about the element of fire where the the element is is the refiner's fire, and when they're heating up uh, metals to become liquid, gold, silver, things like that, to purify them, the idea is that they heat them up till they're liquid, and they're, I mean, they're just, they're so, so, so hot. You just, you can see it, just the heat rising. And the idea is that, as I've been taught, that the impurities rise to the surface, and they just have this long straight-edge tool, and they just kind of scrape that stuff right off the top. And in that moment, that metal becomes 100% pure. But it's got to be heated up first. I want to tell you, I'm not going to stand up here and make promises that you're going to go through persecution or that you're not. I will promise you that Jesus will be with you. That's what he's promised. 
that he will protect you. I'm not going to say that he's going to deliver you or that he's not. We need to be people of even if he doesn't. That's what we need to be. That's the core principle here. Because we can't tell the future. Listen, maybe God wants me to score a Lexus next week. I doubt it. Right? (laughs) Maybe I'll always drive like a crappy car. Maybe I'll have a nice car. Maybe you'll give us a nice home. Maybe you won't. Right? And these are the things we think of. Right? You know what Polycarp was thinking of? Maybe I get to live tomorrow. I don't think we know what it's like to be purified yet. And I'm terrified at the possibilities that could come down, right? We need to be people in this comfortable society to be so focused on Jesus that all those, just like the parable of the soils, right, the thorns of, of, of the earthly things coming, the, 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 the desire of cars and houses and money and jobs and status and power and popularity and all this kind of stuff chokes out the word and there can be no fruit. We are, by the way, the whole like, it's harder for a, a rich man to get into heaven, right, for a camel to go through. We are the rich man, right? We are, the, we are not polycarp. We're not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm, what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is the warning here is, is clear. We're people who probably look more like Babylon than true Israel. We ought to be very careful. That's the thing. Is, if it's not clear, by the way, that's the, that's the theme on my heart these last couple weeks. My fear is that I, as a believer, just Mark, not you, Mark, is walking around this world so comfortable and I'm going to get to heaven and we're going to swap stories and I'm going to say, yeah, I got into credit card debt. That was rough. It's like, oh, really? I'm here because I was stoned to death. Yeah, Visa was tough. I mean, you don't even know. 2017 was a different time. You know, like, my fear is that I don't look like the believers here. That I compare myself to what's happening in 2017 in America. My fear is that with all the resources that we have as the church in America, that the believers in like Syria and Iraq and all that stuff are putting us to shame. And they probably are. I hear stories. They're in the middle of that fire. And they're walking through it believing. I hear stories of the missionaries over there and they see things we don't see. Let's pray. God, Lord, make us a people that are pure before you. Lord, let us be silent before you and your majesty. Lord, if you are who we read you are, then we ought to tremble in fear. Lord, but if, you've, if you truly are what you've promised, then we know that you're with us. 
We know that you'll protect us. We know that you'll deliver us. Lord, we know that our reward is in heaven, and so we'll do with do what we have to down here. But Lord, don't let us get distracted by the thorns of the stuff in this world. Lord, let this church be built on your word and your spirit. Lord, I believe you're, you're putting us through a proving ground right now to test where our foundation lies. Lord, we confess right now that we are saying with our mouths that it is you and that our actions may prove otherwise. Lord, we pray that it would be you. Lord, I pray that you would give us the opportunity to shout to this community, Lord, to the city of, of greater Columbus, Lord, that you are Lord, and there is no other name under heaven which we may be saved. God, give us that opportunity, but Lord, let us be pure. Lord, if we are going to be the people who would bow to any other image, rip it away. Lord, rip that away from us. Lord, communicate so clearly to us that we're off. Lord, let us be purely devoted to you. Lord, we may look weird. We're okay with that. <laughs> we may look different than this culture. That's what you're calling us to do. God, give us the blessing of being a part of what you want to do in this city. Lord, let us be pure. In your name we pray. Amen.